Hi, welcome to In the Pacha, where I, Sam Reinstein, rabbi at Congregation Kol Israel in Brooklyn, have conversations with different educators about the weekly Torah portion. This week for Parsha Yitro, I'm honored to I'm honored to be with Rabbi Dr. Joshua Berman. Hi, Rabbi Berman. Hello, Rabbi Reinstein. Hi, thank you so much for being with us. Pleasure and um, uh, greetings to all of the traveling public. <laughs> um, so. I normally ask people to introduce themselves. So do you mind? Uh, I only know you through your writings and the few minutes we just had, but um, do you mind introducing yourself? Okay, sure. So um, you can tell from my accent, I'm originally from uh, that side of the pond. And uh, Hashem, I've been living in Israel for 31 years, uh, a whole bunch of years uh, learning in, in uh, Yeshivat Haaretzion, known as Gush. Uh, and... Uh, in my day job, I'm a professor of uh, Tanakh at Bar Ilan University. Um, and just just for for those that are listening, and for those, I mean, I've spoken about this a couple of times. Um, he's also written you've you've written a, a a bunch of books, not only in Hebrew but in English as well. Yeah, uh, I don't think I've written any books in Hebrew. Well, I have my books translated into Hebrew, but I haven't done okay. the actual writing into Hebrew. Uh, okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what, what I'm really about is uh, uh, taking uh, academic biblical study and, and using it to help us with our Avodah Hashem. That's uh, what my life is kind of devoted to. Right. Something, something that I noticed while, while reading your work is, uh, is so frequently when you have academic stuff on, on Torah, um, it gets into the whole conversation about who wrote it, when it was written, um, the, all those conversations, and that that takes up a lot of time. Um, but I noticed you you kind of slide past that. That, uh, that yeah, well, I, really actually, I have I have a book coming out this summer in Yer Tzeshem called uh, Ani Mami in Orthodoxy and Biblical Criticism, where I'm going to be discussing oh, cool. discussing those issues. But that's uh, you didn't know that. That's not the reason you invited me on today. So we don't right, have no. to talk too much about uh, that now. Oh, cool. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that's great to know. Very important. Very important um, stuff. Yeah, a lot of people have a lot so, of questions. So just, yeah. yeah. So just before we get to the, the conversation, um, I normally do a 30-second short summary of the Parsha mm-hmm. yep. um, just for people that are um, just want to have a general sense of what's going on. Uh, so Moshe's father-in-law, Yitro, hears of the great miracles which God performed for the Jewish people and comes from Midian to the Israelite camp. Yitro advises Moshe to appoint a hierarchy of judges to assist him in the tasks of governing the people. The children of Israel camp outside Mount Sinai, where they are told God has chosen them to be his kingdom of priests and a holy nation. They respond saying, Nasev and Ishma, all that God has spoken we shall do. The entire nation of Israel assembles at Har Sinai, at Mount Sinai. God descends upon the mountain with lightning, thunder, billows of smoke, and shofar, and summons Moshe to ascend. God proclaims the Ten Commandments, commanding the people to believe in God, not worship idols, take God's name in vain, keep Shabbos, honor their parents, not murder, not commit adultery, not steal, not bear with false witness or covered in another's property. The people cry out to Moshe that the revelation is too intense for them, begging him to receive the Torah and convey it to them. Okay. Um, so the, the reason I wanted to, to um, talk with you today um, was specifically about one of your books uh, called Created Equal. Um, I gave a drasha about, actually two drasha, um, about this idea or, or two different ideas in this book. Um, but um, specifically, I feel like it gives a lot of explanation for what's going on 
in the uh, in the treaty where God brings down the Ten Commandments. Uh, it seems somewhat random these this commandments, and especially because there are so many other laws, um, and it's not clear exactly what's going on in the whole um, in the whole scene. Um, so I'd love to hear your initial take on it. And, okay, all right. Look, we, we, we know that at the, at the core of this week's Parsha and next week's Parsha is what we call the uh, Brit, the covenant that we made with the Kodesh Baruch Hu at Har Sinai. Now, when you say to somebody, what's a Brit? They, they say, well, that's obvious. We know what a Brit is. A Brit is a covenant. And then you say, okay, what's a covenant? And they say, well, that's obvious. A covenant is a Brit. And uh, we kind of go around in a circle here. But what do we mean exactly by a Brit or a covenant? And so many people might say, well, it's, um, it's an agreement, uh, it's a treaty, uh, it's, a, it's a contract. Uh, all those things are true, but when you think about it, the types of agreements, contracts that we have today are in no way similar to what you have uh, in, in this week's and next week's Parsha. What do I mean by that? Any contract that we enter into today, whether it's for sale of an automobile, for sale of a house, to, uh, to work for somebody, uh, whether we're talking about agreements between countries, nations, they're always fully equal and bilateral. By that I mean the two sides, whether we're talking about two people, whether we're talking about two countries, they both uh, volitionally, out of their own will, decide that the deal is good for themselves, and they enter into a deal. And if one side or the other, again, makes no difference whether we're talking about individuals or talking about countries, if one side feels, nah, this isn't for me, then you don't sign, and you go away, and you go make a deal somewhere else, or you don't make a deal. Now, that's clearly not what's happening in these partiot. That is, it's true. I mean, Rabbi Reinstein, you just said now, you know, those famous words from the end of next week's Parsha, Nasev and Ishma, Am Yisrael, expressing their agreement. But, you know, when you read these Parsha, you don't really get the sense that saying no was an option. Like, Am Yisrael didn't really have the option of coming all the way to Har Sinai, have the skies open, have God speak to them. And then Am Yisrael saying, mm, you know what, uh, we don't really want this. Or, ah, uh, you know, that Shabbos thing, too, too difficult. Can you scratch that? No, it doesn't seem that way at all. And so we're stuck with something that, on the one hand, it, it, it makes all the noises of being bilateral, that Am Yisrael have to agree, and yet, in its essence, it's very clear that this is not a choice. So what's going on here? What we have here is what, we might, what might seem like an agreement or a treaty between unequals. What does that mean? How does that work? So it's clearly not anything like agreements or treaties or contracts that any of us enter into uh, in our own lives. And the answer here is dependent on understanding uh, uh, ancient Near Eastern political realities. But let me say a, a word before that. What, my, 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 the whole premise of so much of my work and, and uh, the book that you, that you cited, Rabbi Reinstein, uh, Created Equal, How the Bible Broke with Ancient Political Thought, is that there's a level of understanding, if you will, one of the shivim panim, one of the 70 faces of the Torah, one of the 70 prisms through which we can understand the Torah, is that it speaks it with, with some immediacy to an ancient context that we've kind of lost. 
Now, some people might be scandalized by what do you mean? Isn't the Torah eternal? And how can you say that maybe it, it means more or was understood more clearly uh, or communicates in a certain way to a previous generation more than any others? Uh, I can say that because the Rambam says it, because the Ralbag says it, because Rav Cook says it. We, it right. All of the all of the great Gdole Yisrael that I've just mentioned, each in their own way, affirm this very point. Uh, the, the, especially the Rambam, especially in the Mor Nevuchim, uh, where the Rambam says, "Halavai, if only I had more access to books about the ancient Near East, I would understand the Torah much better." Uh, mm-hmm. He even writes that he, in, in one of his letters, that he tried to get hold of every possible book that he could find about the ancient world because he was convinced that he would understand the Torah better. Now, with that in mind, uh, we can. I'm going to take their rishus, their their permission, if you will, uh, to to give a little sense of what might be behind this concept of brit, of treaty, of covenant, and how it's different than what we have today. Uh, in, in in the ancient world, we have uh, uh, one of the things that we've dug up, uh, especially from around the time of Yitzias Mitzrayim and Mahmad Har Sinai are political treaties between kings, between states, if you will. And what we discover is that they made a very special type of treaty. And it would go something like this. Let's say that you're a king of a small area. The kings of Canaan were small. You know, when Yahushua conquers 34 kings, then you realize that not each of those kings was ruling over something the size of the Soviet Union, right? Each king was over a little, a little, a little village, a town maybe the surrounding area. What, what all these treaties that we found, what they, what, they, what they show is the following, that if a king found himself in Soros, Soros could be he's under siege, Soros could be there's a famine, there's a drought, and he realizes that his only way of surviving the threat that he faces is by turning to a stronger king in the region. So what the, what the weaker king would do is he would send out an SOS on a clay tablet. You know, there was no cell phones. And uh, the stronger king would send help, whether that was grain, whether that was troops. When that would happen, the only reason that the stronger king does that is because he's looking for a good deal. He, wants, he sees an opportunity to make an alliance with somebody uh, who will now be indebted to him. And so both parties understand that when the salvation comes, whether it's grain or troops or whatever it might be, that it is now incumbent upon the, the, the weaker king to enter into what's called a, a vassal treaty, uh, where the weaker king retains his autonomy. He doesn't, he's not debased or in any way. He's not tarred and feathered. He doesn't give up rule of his, of his own little kingdom. but he is in some way subservient, or if you will, becomes a junior partner uh, to, the, to, the, right. to the sovereign king, the stronger one. And the, the alliance between them uh, is dictated on his terms, the terms of the stronger king. Um, and what we see is that there's a kind of a standard pattern uh, of how these treaties would work. They would, they would first describe the events that led to the vassal submitting himself to the sovereign uh, in indebtedness, and then it would talk about the, uh, the 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 stipulations, the requirements that the sovereign imposes upon the weaker king, the vassal, and it would discuss what the sovereign will do for the vassal if he is obedient. Uh, now, all of this already, we can see how this is exactly what's animating 
these parshiot, that is, Am Yisrael and Mitzrayim, uh, as we saw in Perik uh, Gimel in Sefer Shemot, cries out to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. HaKadosh Baruch Hu brings the salvation, i.e. Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. And now it's understood that since we were granted salvation because we called out, so now it is incumbent upon us to become a vassal king to the sovereign king of kings. And that's what's happening in this week's Parsha. And it starts off, so we have here in Sefer Shemot, the telling of the story. What were the events that led Am Yisrael to decide to become a vassal to the king of kings? And now at Harsinai, the king of kings is giving the vassal uh, a copy, a text of what are the, the, uh, the stipulations, the, 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 the obligations that the vassal has to the sovereign king. And those are the mitzvot. That is generally speaking, what's happened. Now, what's so incredibly cool about this, and this, none of this is my my chiddush, not stuff that I came up with, or very little of it, uh, but what scholars, not Jewish, not from, not even from of another religion, but just people doing good scholarship figured out that they see time after time, mitzvah after mitzvah seems to be patterned after these types of treaties. So, Rabbi, do you want me to Spell that out a little bit more. Do you have some questions you want to ask? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. I, I definitely Go ahead. have some questions. Not to you. But, so, but, but, okay. But let's, very let's good. Spell that out. Um, and okay. I'll, I'll okay. Work, so, work, for work. example, for example, uh, uh, we find that uh, in, in, in one of these treaties, the sovereign says to his vassal, you know, I have a lot of vassals. You're not my only vassal, but you are my favorite vassal. And the term that's used there in Ugaritic, which is a language, a Semitic language, which has a lot of affinities with, uh, with, with Hebrew, uh, the term for favorite vassal is sigulat, like am sigula, which we read in Perakutet oh. in this week's Parsha. Right. Uh, one, of the, the, one of the main responsibilities of a vassal to his sovereign king would always be that the sovereign would say, uh, you are my vassal. You are now not permitted to make a treaty, a, 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 a vassal treaty, with any other king, only with me. Uh, and we see that too. That, uh, the Kodesh Baruch Hu doesn't let Am Yisrael make britot uh, covenants with anybody else. Uh, we see that he requires exclusive uh, service. We can't have any other gods. Um, um, Let's see what other sorts of things come, come come into this. What what you see in these in these treaties is that uh, so in addition to the responsibilities, the obligations that the vassal has to the sovereign, and what the sovereign has to the vassal to take care of him, to make sure that he's never attacked. That's what a Kodesh Baruch Hu promises us that if we if we pay our taxes, as it were, that is to say. Kiyoma mitzvot, if we observe the mitzvot, then a Kaddish Baruch Hu will make sure that we are protected, just like a sovereign would, would, would make sure that the vassal was protected. Um, uh, the the, 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 the uh, sovereign would always tell the vassal, you have to take this treaty and put it in your temple. Now, in their terms, in Avodah terms, the idea was mm. that the, the deity of the vassal would kind of like be like a witness that that the, that the vassal has to observe the terms of the treaty. Well, what do we do? Lahavdil. We take the treaty tablets, the lucho sabrit, and we put them inside the inside the the the, the kodesh kadashi, right inside inside yeah inside the so inside the mishkan. Um, um, what else is similar? The the treaties would 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 end 
with uh, blessings and curses to uh, 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 to the to, to the vassal. That is, if you if vassal you keep uh, the terms of this treaty, you will get the following blessings. And if you go against this treaty, then you will get all of these curses. So we have also that right brachos and klalos at the end of Sefer Vayikra, at the end of Sefer Devarim. Uh, we have also, uh, uh, there are witnesses on these treaties. In these uh, ancient treaties, the witnesses are the sun, the moon, this God, that God, this element of nature. Well, what happens in the Torah is that there's, you know, Hazino Shamayim Vadabera, Vatishmaretz Imrefi. So also there's Shamayim Vaaretz that are, that, are, that, are that are being witnesses. So there's witnesses there, there as well. Uh, we find in one of these treaties that the, uh, the, the, the sovereign says, uh, I heard that uh, uh, the treaty tablets that you had uh, got broken. And since they got broken, so here I'm now going to make new treaty tablets for you. This is exactly what we have in Chaita Egel, that when Moshe Rabbeinu smashes the, the, the luchos, well, if there, are, if there aren't any luchot, then there isn't a treaty, so you have to make new luchos, so new, 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 new tablets. Uh, a lot of the things are similar. What else is similar is uh, there's a, uh, 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 yeah, we, we have a mitzvah. The language of the mitzvah is very strange. We have in three places in the Torah, the Torah says, Shalosh Shana, three times a year, that uh, the male members of your community will come and see the face of Hashem. And that's a very strange phrase because normally we say, as uh, we say in Parshat Kitisa, that it's not possible for a human to see a Kurdish Baruch Hu and to remain alive. And we see many figures, Hagar and Eshet Manoach in, in Sefer Shoftim. Uh, we're all afraid that since they had seen some divine image, uh, that perhaps they would fall, they would now be smitten down dead. So what does it mean when the Torah says that three times a year, uh, the men in your community, they're going to come see the face of Hashem? Really? How could that be? What does that mean? Well, when you look in these treaties, you understand, because that phrase, that exact phrase is what's used. Because the sovereign says to the to the to the to the vassal, you have to come and visit my court on periodic occasions and see my face. That means to pay a royal visit. That is what we are doing when we do aliyat regel, when we do pilgrimage to the base of mikdash. Yes, there's korbanot. Yes, it's fun to be together. But what we're really doing in terms of the ancient world is we are paying a a, 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 a visit to the court. Of the sovereign king, as vassals. Mm-hmm. And I, I, th- I think I, I remember one of the things was also because um, this was something that always confused me is why we're always talking yeah. about Mitzrayim. Mm-hmm. Um, like one, why sure. uh, exactly, Anochi exactly. Ashi, yeah, this uh, is like the, the beginning of Aseret yeah, Adibro. Yeah, this is a famous question. We all know Adibro. that the, uh, the 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 first of the Aseret Adibro. Okay is Anochi Hashem Elokecha, I am the Lord your God. But the rest of that Pasuk is very important. One might have thought, you know, people say, oh, the Ten Commandments, that's kind of like universal morality. Uh, there are some things there that might be universal, but, you know, if it was really just kind of giving basic statements of universal morality, then we would have expected that the first Dibra would say, uh, I am the Lord who created the universe. That's pretty universal. That's not what it says. 
The basis for the treaty with the Kaddish Baruch Hu is indebtedness. It's because of his salvation that he gave us. Who took you out of the land of Egypt. And it's exactly that. That's exactly how all of these treaties begin. I am the, 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 the sovereign king who gave you this salvation. You were starving. You were under siege. And I delivered you. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, I, I imagine in most of these treaties in the Near East, it's, you know, the sovereign king helps out the vassal king. Mm-hmm. And then the vassal king has to pay taxes or has to give tribute. Uh, but how often... And we do. I feel like we do that on some level with korbanot, mm-hmm. with sacrifices, and things like that. Um, but how how is does there exist a an analog to us keeping Shabbos, let's say, or um, you know, wearing tzitzit, or um, you know, the different different mitzvot that aren't really for God, uh, or like at least directly so, um, because. Um, I mean, obviously, it's a little bit of a different relationship, um, but is, um, is there any not, to that or indirectly? Let me explain what I mean. You're right. The 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 the, uh, the, the metaphor goes only so far. That is to say, kings of of Basar Badam, human kings, were all self interested. You know, how can I get a good deal? And what we're saying, and obviously, Kodesh Baruch who's beyond that, right? He doesn't need our korbanot. He doesn't need our our trumos and masros. Uh, but the metaphor is helpful for understanding that a Kaddish Baruch Hu is saying, I'm not here to suck you dry of all of your grain and all of your livestock, which is pretty much what happened, what happened elsewhere uh, in the ancient world. That's what God's wanted. Uh, I'm here to, to be a senior partner over you and to lead you through a fulfilling life. Um, um, what you do see, uh, I, I don't know if I even mentioned this in the book, Tzitzis uh, uh, has has uh, uh, an ancient Near Eastern context. What we know is that uh, uh, when you look on the reliefs of uh, of ancient ancient times, you know like pictorial reliefs, then you see that the royalty always wore garments that had strings coming off of them, strings and knots and things tied. And the more elaborate, the more significant the person was. Uh, and especially uh, techelet was a sign of royalty because that color of blue does not exist in nature by itself. You have to do something. There's a whole process you have to do to get blue and purple. So if somebody has a garment that has elaborate strings and they're blue, then they're really chashuv. And that's a really, really important person. And what the Torah is saying, basically, is that every member of Klai Yisrael is himself a servant of a Kaddish Baruch Hu, but a vassal king. We're all kings. That is, the treaty is with each and every one of us. Right. So that doesn't mean that we have the right to do whatever we want, but it means that in serving the Kaddish Baruch Hu and recognizing our place, we ourselves, we have a, 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 an element of, of kingship to us. Right. So that, and that, that's actually what I was going to ask next. The, um, and this seems to be very different based on what you wrote, is that it seems to be very different than every other treaty, where every other mm-hmm. treaty is really just, you know, be, between king and king. And here it's mm-hmm. between that's king right. and, that's and each person. Instead right, of, right. In instead words, of the, the treaty is not with Moshe. And also, if you look carefully, the Aseris of Dibros are, 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 each one of them are individual commands. That is, 
you don't have there a command to conquer Eretz Israel. You don't have there a command to build the base of Mikdash. You don't have a command there to establish Sanhedrin. Each of the Aserata Dibrot uh, are individual mitzvot, the mitzvot on the Yachid. And that means that each individual has a, a status of entering into a, a, a breed, a treaty with the Kaddish Baruch Hu, meaning that each individual is a vassal king. Hmm. In which, in which case, in which case, like each every single person encountering their Judaism is is the person who got the Torah, and it wasn't like given to them through somebody else almost. Um, well, in a way what's interesting about these treaties, and I'll recall if treaty. I discuss this in the book, is that uh, uh, the treaties would be between kings, and therefore, when uh, when a vassal king would 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 pass on. That's what happens after a while. Uh, the the sovereign would make would renew the treaty with the next generation, mm-hmm. and this is what we see certainly in the earlier periods of the Tanakh. Sefer Dvarim is a renewal of Brit Sinai. Now is Brit Arvot Moav, and mm-hmm. then you see that Yoshua does the same thing uh, in Sefer Yoshua in Perichet when they do Kibush Aretz. They have a whole Brit ceremony at Shechem. And then when Yoshua himself is is preparing to pass on, then we have yet another breed that has many of the same elements that uh, that I laid out before are also there in Yoshua Perachavdalan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, so they had to That's renew right. it each time, like a right. new generation came. Yeah, it, it didn't yeah. matter for Yoshua, yeah. but mm-hmm. but for the people, it's another proof that it was for the people. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I found that idea very empowering in terms of uh, in terms of for laity uh, specifically knowing that mm-hmm. you know the Torah's mm-hmm. covenant is with each person and it's not just with oh for sure you know rabbis sure. and it's not just with yeah, people that know a lot it's yeah. with everyone. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so something that I was thinking about about that idea. Because um, I feel like uh, this is on some level a dispute within Orthodox Jewry, um, but there's so, at least in certain sects, and I don't want to get you in trouble here, but uh, there is a concept of you know going through your rabbi, and um, I don't know, I don't mean asking questions, I mean where you receive your religion through another figure, um, and I, I was wondering, like this seems to really go against that concept of like, you know, going through the tzaddik mm. and um, mm. I know those are more Hasidic ideas, but uh, mm-hmm. um, so this seems mm. to go against that I concept. About that. I, I, uh, for me, I'm not so sure, you know, I mean, the people, the only reason that they had any Kesha with the Kodesh Baruch was because they had a Moshe Rabbeinu, you know, um, and they're very dependent on Moshe Rabbeinu throughout. So right. I, I wonder... You know, listen, I think all of us recognize that uh, there are serious from Jews. There are some that are very dependent on a Rebbe or a, a former teacher of theirs or a spiritual leader that they have. It might be their Mora de Asra. There are people for whom those types of figures are very central. And then there are other people who, you know, of course, they've had Rabbanim in their lives and they've had, they've had Russia Yeshiva in their lives. Maybe they didn't latch on to anybody in particular. Okay, so I think I think that there are different models within, uh, right. with always traditionally within our orthodoxy, and I think in, in our time as well. All right. All right. Yeah. 
Right, I don't, I don't mean yes, to Especially as a shul I, rabbi. I, I, uh, I I just, like, you know, well, while you don't I was reading stuff out of work, you know, yeah. I mean. Uh, right. <laughs> right, right. No, but I mean, uh, in, like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I very much, I felt like I've, mo- I've tried to model this in my shul where, like, where the concept uh-huh. is, you know, I'm trying to organize people and I'm trying to, you know, help people with their questions. Um, but my goal is never to uh, no, to kind of like take on their yeah. religiosity. It's like, no, in the end of the day, right. they get to make the choice right. and they choose if they ask me and what they want to do. Um, I can only tell them, they can only decide to ask uh-huh. me what they right. think, what, what I think, and I can yeah. tell them what I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the end of the day, it's up to them. Um, yeah. Um, uh, one, one other thing I thought we could talk about just for a couple of minutes, mm-hmm. um, was the responsibilities of the king. Sure. Um, I don't know if, if you have some time for that, um, because you, you outlay four responsibilities, um, commander in chief, um, responsible for right. the religion or the cult, yeah, okay, that's um, the benefactor of debt remission and the lawgiver. Um, Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I first thought this was fascinating just in terms of how the Torah kind of strips the king of its power. Um, and and I Mm -hmm. I feel like, again, it's part of the same idea where everyone is important. Um, and, um, yeah, I actually, uh, I actually, and I I guess I can ask you now, um, but I, I tried to give this as a, or I gave this as a Kol Nidre Jasha, um, this idea of debt remission, uh, um, uh-huh. not being, no longer being with the king, but being with the people. Um, and I was thinking possibly that's why um, Kol Nidre oh, wow. of getting rid of our debts oh. and getting rid of our vows. Um, um, wow. It's the one thing that's kind of a king thing from Rosh Hashanah, but oh, also, uh, huh. but, but becomes a personal thing in on Yom Kippur. And, but but it's it's a it's an idea of change, so it's like mm-hmm. a it's a good Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur transition. Uh huh. Um, yeah. Uh huh. Right. know. Right, I know. It's taking the idea and taking it to a totally different place. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Um, the, the only other thing okay, I, I was thinking of asking more you about one book, thing yeah. about inconsistency in the Torah. Um, just uh, yeah. Right. So um, this is another book. It's Inconsistency mm-hmm. in the Torah, Ancient Literary Convention and the Limits of Source Criticism. Um, so it's it's a thought all the way at the beginning that really stuck with me. Um, mm-hmm. This idea mm-hmm. of like what mm-hmm. ancient literature really wa- was. Um, that because um, like now we, we right. so much look at history as like it either happened or it didn't. Wow. Um, I could talk for an hour um, or two. Can you talk to that uh, for yeah. uh, okay, a minute? Okay, let me... Yeah. Okay. Let me let me let right. me just say or, this. Let me say this. However, throw out a tantalizing <laughs> uh, observation. It was tantalizing for me. Yeah. Um, it's very interesting when you discover right. words that are just so so much part of our lives, and then you discover that there's no parallel for those words in previous times. One of those words is history. What do I mean by that? Most people would say, if I were to say to you, how old is history? They'd say, what do you mean? When Adam Arishan woke up the next morning and he said, Chava, that was a great dinner you made last night. That's when history was born, right? Pardon the sexist overtones in that comment. 
you know, history right. is as old as mankind. When when right. people started remembering, that's history. Remembering is history. Uh, no, you see, there's no word for history in the Tanakh, and there's no word for right. history in rabbinic Hebrew either. Even though both the Tanakh and Chazal are constantly talking about the past, but you will find no word for history. That says Darshani. That says, wait a minute, we're missing something. If they don't have a word for it, then, then yes, they talk about the past, but they might not be doing the same thing that we're doing now. This is a huge, a hugely important issue to understand how the ways in which Avot Avotenu, our forefathers, talked about the past, why they talked about the past, the purposes of that, the rules about how you talk about the past are very different than the ways in which we do. And it requires understanding ourselves so that we can understand them. But that's a long talk. That'll have to be for another time. Okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. Right. Um, uh, thank um, you so much. No, just, you know, uh, just uh, any, any reiterate that uh, most of the stuff we talked about uh, here today is uh, yeah. from a book I put out that's called Created Equal, How the Bible Broke with uh, Ancient Political Thought. And uh, yeah, that's about it. I, uh, you know, this, I, it's, it's endlessly fascinating to to have these insights uh, from the ancient world, and uh, really, it opens up a lot. Not just that's interesting, but I think really uh, enriches our our Bodhis Hashem, and that's really what it's all about. Okay. Okay. Very good. And for the listening public, okay, thank, thank you for thank listening you so much in, for and everyone should have a good Shabbos. Um, okay.